0: Welcome to the Friends for Life podcast. My name is Lisa Anderson. And I'm Mackie Alston. And we are beloved friends and co-conspirators interviewing other friends and co-conspirators.
1: Thanks for being with us as we explore the ways in which friendship helps us create a world of love and justice.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm Lisa. I'm Mackie. And... This is the second of our conversations about friendship, and we're thinking about friendship right now in these days um, that we're living in. Um, Friendship in the time of grief and loss, and also about what it means to lose and grieve friends, either because they die, or because friendships enter a new season, a season of separation or ending. And on that note, um, it is our extreme delight to welcome one of our dearest, nearest and dearest, um, the Reverend Jennifer Bailey, also known as Jen by all of us who know and love her well. Jen is um, an ordained AME minister. She is a public theologian. She's the founder and executive director of Faith Matters Network and co-founder of the People's Supper. She is also the author of To My Beloved's Letters on Faith, Race, Loss, and Radical Hope. Hi there, Jen.
2: Oh, I'm so (laughs) glad to be with you. Thank you so much for having Mm -hmm. me, Mackie and Lisa. Mm
1: Jen, what a beautiful book! My God, what a gorgeous oh, thank thing! Thank you. You've given yeah, us. Uh,
2: I'm still. Um, it's still not fully real for me that it's out there in the world because it was sort of very close for so long. <laughs> and so to hear people that I count as beloveds, um, people who shaped me, informed me, <laughs> Mackie and Lisa, you know me since I was like a wee babe <laughs> in my vocational life. It's, it's, it's really an honor to have folks I love. love Oh, that's it. it,
0: You know, it was when we were, when I was reading it, what was so wild is when I was reading the stories, I was, and you were like, there was a timeline that was implicit in it. Um, And I said, Oh, I remember that. I remember that time. I remember that time. And so it's profound to hear you reflect and what was like going on in your mind at these times when, you know, we know each other, but we may not have had any conversation about those things that you were ruminating and reflecting on. So you bless us and the world with what you've written.
2: Uh, thank you so yeah. much.
1: And Jen, Reverend Jen, you taught us how to tell yeah. stories. Oh, yeah in the auburn community and so many of the people with whom we've worked who uh i believe are tuned in Mm -hmm. today and so to be given the gift of your stories in this uh, how do i say this we read a lot of books (laughs) And we read a lot of books that we love for all kinds of reasons, but we wonder did this need to be in a book? Could it have been a conversation, an interview? When I read your book, Jen, I thought she's a writer. Mm -hmm. That Reverend Jen Bailey, she's a poet Mm -hmm. writer in a tradition that she has always lifted up and celebrated, in which she belongs most fully. Uh, So I I just got to say, y'all, read this book. Read this book to my beloved. (laughs) Because not only will it move you, break your heart, and also heal it, but it's also really gorgeous Mm -hmm. writing.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's so interesting. We're having a conversation today about, about grief and loss. And when I think about the writing process for this book, um, and, you know, different snippets of different letters were written at different times throughout my life. So there's a letter, the first letter of the book is called a a letter to a motherless child, Mm. that most of which I actually wrote at my mom's bedside while she was on hospice, um, in 2016. And then I found it again, um, in my files. And when I think about where I was when I was writing, um, The letter to max my son when he was in Mm. my belly um i was finishing up um that letter just as i had gotten news that one of my best friends from high school passed away Mm. um several weeks after max was born and so it's it's almost like this book um not only documents my story but the levels of different experiences Mm -hmm. with grief and how it's shaped and formed not just my heart, but my whole worldview. Yeah. Having lost a number of people close to me, I'm only I'm 34. So I mean, which is crazy to say, because I think I met you, Lisa, when I was 24. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, I. Um, it, it feels like out of this space of grief, the the writing process, um, which I don't do often. I actually don't like writing mm-hmm. because it. It forces me to tap into certain truths about myself and my experience in the world that feels too personal. And I think in a world where I now carry a number of identities out there, <laughs> uh, the one that's most personal to me now is like mama, I'm somebody's mama, I'm somebody's mm-hmm. parent. <laughs> you know? In addition to being somebody's partner and a leader of an organization and a minister and a daughter, um, Writing is the space where I am most honest and I don't like to be honest with myself very often. <laughs> and if I'm being transparent, I don't know if that's like something that a a, a minister is supposed yeah. to say, but the hardest work I found in my journey is getting real and authentic with me and being honest about who I am, both my light and my shadow, mm-hmm. um, and loving that shadow just as much as I love the light. So, um, Thank you Thank you for um, inviting me to, to just chat and chat and talk about not just the book, but this topic, which feels really tender mm-hmm. to me in this season and deeply personal mm-hmm. to me in this season.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I resonate so much with how you describe the writing process and the, the struggle, I think, that all humans have to go through to like, really touch their authentic selves and to be in touch with it. Um, not as performing a self, but actually being a self. And so I, I resonate. And it's funny, you know, um, our first, we're going to back up a little bit and, and ease into um, the conversation in the way that we like to by asking about delight, as a way to start us into, you've already gotten us into the depths, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, with like going into delight as a way to go even deeper. So our question, what flavor delights you?
2: Mm. Yeah, this is going to be funny. So one of the things I've learned having a now like, toddler in training, my son, Max, will be uh, 16 months old soon, is that he often leaves over snacks, <laughs> found that like, one of my greatest joys is cleaning up his snacks. And so for everyone who has uh, toddlers and small children, there's this thing called go-go's, which are little <laughs> couches of... Flavored applesauce, essentially, and pureed fruit. And so, a flavor that has been delighting me lately is the Boulderberry Go Go. And when Max doesn't finish his Go Go, I am delighted to finish it for him because it's delicious. Totally delicious. So, so tasty. And, um, you know, I don't think we often give ourselves permission enough to go back to the like the foods of our childhood and those kid foods that still taste good. You know it still tastes good. Chicken nuggets, cheese I'm a minute. <laughs> right? Like you know it still tastes good. String cheese, um Goldfish crackers, right? Like all of the things that make up Max's snacks. I also feed him fruits and vegetables <laughs> but like so the flavor that has been delighting me most lately has been go-go's also because Whenever I'm hangry, I typically have some hidden snack for me on me in my purse or um, in the diaper bag for Max. And there's always at least at least one more. Mm -hmm. And so I know
0: that there's always a go-go. When I'm on the go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mackie's a parent too. I, is it a universal parent thing that at some point in your life you have a bag that has the go-to snack, the toy, the thing that keeps the kid quiet? The, you know, all those things. It feels like that's a, that's you yeah, got
1: to. Awesome. Otherwise, you get hell to pay. And what's <laughs> wild is my younger child, who looks. We have that same poster that's right over your shoulder, and. Uh, We all think that's Penelope, my younger daughter. And uh, the poster is from the Women's March and um, the child in the Women's March. But anyway, she's 15 now. And there are times when she is so cantankerous, she looks in our cabinet and says that thing that I'm afraid I must have said when I was her age, too, is there's nothing to eat in here. (laughs) And do you know what we do? We go to the back of one cabinet that's hard to reach and pull out the (laughs) Go-Go's. And she'll eat them. Still. And so will we. Because they are delicious. You know, when you were talking about writing and the uh, vulnerability, the pain of telling the truth, the, the liability of telling the truth to the people you love or in one's community, I just am reminded and Lisa, we've never really talked about this on this show that in some ways, the soil of this show was a writing project that Lisa and our mutual friend, Caitlin Breedlove and I embarked on when this framework of friendship, particularly queer friendship as a, as a, as a space to think about uh, what movements are born of, but also qualities that can heal uh, our movement spaces that can be found um, or at least reflected in relation about relation to queer friendship. We started writing side by side with a bunch of prompts and we would meet in coffee shops. We would do a couple of retreats, but Caitlin's out in Southwest, but, but Lisa and I would meet in a coffee shop and we would write side by side and we would beam Caitlin in by Zoom or something before COVID made Zoom the Default and uh, and it somehow did something in regard to the difficulty of of living in the light of truth or writing truth mm-hmm. to write for a week and then to share it with beloveds <laughs> and to get some real feedback real but also for it to be honored in that interim space before any decisions are made about whether to go public with it or not. And that just sort of makes me move from that theme of grief and loss to the value of friendship, the necessity of friendship, the importance of friendship, the possibilities in friendship uh, during times of grief and loss. And of course, it's almost as if Every letter in your book is its own reflection on the relationship between friendship and grief and loss, whether you're writing about the People's Supper Mm -hmm. and how you and Lennon met as people who were both grieving mothers, you who describe your mother as friend, among other things, uh, or the reflection on your friends who committed suicide. So many of the chapters, the chapter about your mother. And in a sense, you're also writing to us as friends, uh, which is such a gift, Jen, because everybody wants to be your friend. (laughs) And it's a and it's a gift, it really is. It really is a gift, your friendship. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder, given that landscape, and when I say landscape, then I immediately think of the landscapes that you so beautifully described, whether it's prairie or Deep South uh, or Nashville. But what does friendship look like to you today during times of grief and loss? What, yeah. what, come, what surfaces today?
2: You know, I, you all caught me an interesting moment at the beginning of a new year after a year 2021 where I find myself finally having a moment of pause to attend to what has been delayed grief in my life. Um, so, over the past year, I've seen the death of my grandmother, who was my last living grandparent, my mom's mom. Um, so, sort have of grieved her loss. And along with it, the grief that accompanies now both my grandmothers and my mama are gone. And learning how to mother without the mothers who are most deeply formative and shaping me has been its own. Um, loss that has been delayed, um, grieving the loss of friendships that I thought were gonna last for a long time, but um, for a number of reasons and circumstances are entering into a different phase. Um, just the, the grief that I think accompanies this pandemic moment and learning how to parent in a pandemic moment and having so many beloveds who have found themselves wrestling um, deeply with their own mental health and well-being against the backdrop of pandemic. But to get to your question, Mackie, I think friendship for me in this season has looked like returning to the friendships that have grounded me for a long time. Like I am so blessed to still have an active group chat with my friends from high school <laughs> who know me, right? Who know who knew me even before I went by Jen, right? Like who knew me as Jennifer, who know me um, at my core and love me and have loved me through um, the hardest times. The People who showed up when my mom entered into hospice on my doorstep, the people who were there at her funeral. Um, the people who have seen me at like my very best and accompany me in the greatest joys of my life, um, who prayed when literally when I was in labor <laughs> with max um, who who have um picked me up and carried me on one too many nights out when I've imbibed too much, right like who've seen me at like my messiest um right. and who love me. Not in spite of, but because of, right? And what has been a great gift of my life is that I still love them and like them, (laughs) right? Like, I think so often, and this has been the case with some relationships and friendships in my life that I've grieved, right? Like, you've grown apart, or because of time, or space, or distance, or in some cases, like a real rupture has happened. But to be able to say that I can call on Dion and Taya and Jennifer and Jordan at any point and like if i need them they will drop everything and be there not just for those moments of holding each other as we have for the past gosh decade and a half through those hard moments but also like we'll pick up and be there if i'm like girl i just need to drink a glass of wine with somebody today right um and so i feel grateful for those friendships um that are deep that are deep deep that are deeper than friendships that are chosen family that have um persisted and the gift of being and accompanying and walking alongside those women into womanhood it's so much fun to grow into womanhood (laughs) with people um who knew you in your girlhood. Um, And so as I think about what this moment has required of all of us, um, the sacrifice, the loss, the grief, being able to find moments of joy with those we call beloved, even if we can't physically be together, um, has been such a tremendous gift to me in this season, even though I still like, I really want to have like a grown up slumber party with my girls, yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's, that is the thing I'm longing most for in this season is like a grown up slumber party where we give the kids to partners and just like,
0: and just get to be for a little while. When you, when you say that, what, um, talk about those old friendships, those old grounding friendships, it makes me wonder, um, cause I have a lot of those as well. Like what makes them work? You know, um, I think about, you know, it, my heart used to ache a lot. My mom used to think that she didn't know how to make friends. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember at her funeral, um, there were, the, the church was packed and, but she, I don't think she went to her grave, but close to the time that before she died, believing that the church would be empty and that the only people who would be there would be her children, and, um, and we had conversations when I was growing up, like, you make friends so easily, why and how, and I was like, well, I don't know that that's really true, and I don't know that you don't make friends, but I've always been interested in it, so what makes it work? for those ones that feel like the, that you're just old in with, can you say a little bit about how they've been sustained for you or what makes them work? I think at their
2: core, and it's so interesting that this is the word that emerges for me, but is a commitment. And I know that like, um, commitment can sometimes feel like a difficult word or a word that's not like popular to use but I think embedded in each of those friendships that I was describing with my girls my high school girls right um is a commitment to one another right to to one another's thriving and flourishing to one another's mess and um messiness, because we've been through some messy times. together, And so I wonder about um, what it means because so often we think about commitment, mostly in our culture around like romantic relationships or partnerships. Um, but there's something about making commitment to friendship, to making a commitment to a community of people that you're in relationship with, that you are invested in the mutual flourishing of that feels so powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Jen, you know, when we did all that storytelling training together, we would encourage people to tell a single story, just a story that brings to life what you mean. Is there a story that surfaces about commitment in a mess or... (laughs) <laughs> early, middle, or late in those long relationships that brings it to life.
2: Yeah. Oh, I mean, like not tell people's business privately that I'm not giving permission to tell. Um, yeah. So one of the things that bonds three of the five women that I told you about, um, my friends Taya, Dion and I, is that each of us lost our mother before we turned 30. Um, and so Miss Carmelita passed when we were in college. Um, Taya's mother passed my first year at Vanderbilt Divinity School, and then my mom passed in 2016. And I can remember when we got the news that Taya's mom passed. Um, Dion at the time was living in, outside of um, Warner Robins, Georgia on a, Air Force Base. Her husband at the time was in the military. And Taya called and gave me the news. The next call I got from Dion was that um, she said, you ready? Pack a bag. I'll be there at 4 a.m. And that's what happened. So we got on the road. Um, Dion came and scooped me up. Her two small children um, at the time, I think there might have been four and two in the back seat. Um, and we just rode. We rode all night to Chicago to be present and with Taya in that season. And I can remember driving that drive. um, Folks don't know I 65 going from Nashville, Tennessee to Chicago, towards Chicago up goes up the state of Indiana and and through Kentucky. And it's not a beautiful drive. (laughs) It is very much it is the prairie lands of my childhood of the Midwest. It is flat. It is um a lot of corn and soybeans and not much else that rolls. And I remember we've reached a point um where there's a big windmill for farm. And Dion's daughter, Jasmine, who was like maybe three or four at the time, looked out and pointed and she said, Look, Auntie Jen, a windmill, a windmill. And there was such awe in her voice. And I thought about and thought think often both of that sort of desolate landscape of of that moment of driving to to be with a friend in grief and the awe that can still happen in the midst of it, the joy that can still happen in the midst of it and the act of being together. And so it was not a surprise to me that when I found out my mom was going to be coming home on hospice that Ty was one of the first people through the door. And that on the anniversary on Mother's Day, my mom died on Mother's Day Eve, the first that first year that I got a delivery of flowers, I wasn't expecting with Carmelita, Mm -hmm. Christine, and Carol's favorite flowers because all of our mom's names began with C. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as I think about that connection, that sisterhood tie between, especially the three of us, that is that's the sweet story. I could also uh, regale you of stories in high school of sneaking into liquor stores we knew we didn't didn't card and south shore. <laughs> and like, parties that we had no business going to. Sorry dad if you're listening. <laughs> right. Um, and late nights um, spent out and covering for one another as you do at 13, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the innocent church girl of the group, so I always got regaled into stuff that I didn't need to be
1: pulled into. Like
2: yeah. Gratitude for friends who teach you how to cover for each other, even though, you know, my friends would so tease me. Oh, this is so embarrassing. I don't know why this is emerging, but I'm going to share it with you guys anyway. I used to be the type of girl who, like, would go to a party. Get like messed up and then like go on a thirty day like fast and prayer retreat. My friends who were not that way would always give me so much shit. Like, okay, we'll see you in a month. Uh, That's what you need to do.
1: Too bad for you.
2: Right, like do that for you. I will have your drinks. (laughs) <laughs> exactly right? um, move over the, like those are the friendships <laughs> as i think about it right like it's the, those those light stories from the ages of 14 15 16 to those deep mm-hmm. moments of accompaniment which means like even when we get we get on each other's nerves to this day and
0: we're still there yeah <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah i think that being willing to get on each other's nerves and uh, that's not a small thing and like to, mm-hmm. and to, and to realize that you'll survive it. Um, you know, I'm learning right now in this season, I'm living with my brother and, um, and, you know, remembering that we will get through mm-hmm. um, that this relationship can take it. Um, and, you know, and the commitment, I like the word commitment. Um for the reasons that you said, because it's just the showing up.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, it's about the showing up.
2: And I'll add, Lisa, one of the
0: things that um you're sharing
2: just sparked in me is, and there can be a heartbreak that happens when you Hello. think that a relationship is strong enough yeah. to withstand mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. moments, and they um, are proven it's proven not to be able to withstand those hard moments and i think that there is not enough conversation about what it means to grieve friendships that have reached their end right that like um whether that be because of extenuating circumstances or um a moment where folks were pushed just too far or literal space and distance that has grown a gap that has grown too wide we have lots of rituals around Mm -hmm. death loss and even like the ending of relationships when i think about people that i know who throw their divorce parties right like we have ritualized so much um and particularly like folks of color and queer folks like we know how to memorialize and ritualize well but i don't know that we actually have a lot of resources on what to do but the very specific and deep pain that accompanies the end of a friendship um and that is like as i think about um my own stretch work in the season i want to think about what that feels like, especially somebody who's moving through that experience right mm-hmm. now. Um, I don't know what to do with that love, yeah. right? Like, with death loss, it becomes clear, right? Like, you know, there's all these, like, beautiful phrases about, you know, grief being love that has nowhere to go in relationship to uh, the death of a loved one. But, like, no, I know where that person is. They're still down the street. Mm-hmm. Their phone number hasn't changed and there's still there's still a death that has happened here or a loss that has happened here but we don't talk about it it's not a part of our our popular culture and how we support one another through it and moving through it feels like um an area that I wish where there were more resources or at least more people
0: speaking honestly about it i think oh my gosh that's so correct and i think it it you know it makes me wonder if part of the reason for that is that we don't really have a robust way of really seeing friendship itself. Like we can have our like we have depth of our friendships. But um I was reading uh Mia Birdsong's book um mm-hmm. Show How We Show Up and she was oh, so it's a beautiful book and she talked about that very thing that there's inside of the notion of the American dream there is so much individualism or the or the coupling that is simply the uh the married couple, and you can have some friends in your little nuclear circle, but the friends friendship itself is not considered vital it doesn't have the vitality in the lexicon, even though people you know live and die by um the depth of our connections um that are beyond like a nuclear family model that doesn't even necessarily reflect most people's reality um so i think that's part of it but then i think that there's a dearth of ways in our society in general to talk about you know death and grief and loss in general but i'd love um you know, as you bring that up, can you talk a little bit about about what it means? Like when you're, I like your phrase. I don't know where to put that love, or where does that love go? Like that's the hard part about having friends. I think is mm-hmm. that you can lose them.
2: Hmm.
1: This is so real. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that are surfacing for me right now are the dreams I have of reconciliation. <laughs> with friends lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really is actually among the most haunting dreams that I have recurrently is that strange, small collection of lost beloveds. Mm -hmm. And oddly, they're not my old lovers. They're my old ride or die friends. They're the ones I actually feel like, oh, wait, did I leave somebody behind? Mm. And then I'll remember upon waking what happened. And so again, I'm in need, Reverend Mm. Bailey. And what we know, as you talk about imagination in your book, if you can't see it, you can't have it. Mm. And uh, we are imaginative, creative, spiritual beings, and so I know that as we have this conversation, we're cooking stuff up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just—it also is a healing conversation for me because I think that one of the one of the dangers of even having a podcast called Friends for Life is that there are times when it feels like we don't have any friends at all. Mm. I mean, there are times, whatever, in which loneliness is the best way to describe how we are. And that is part of life. And friendships are hard. Mm -hmm. It's not all, you know, let's get drinks Mm -hmm. and uh, let's have slumber parties while at the same time, those are nutrients <laughs> in my diet. Yeah. And in COVID, all the harder. And uh, so I just am grateful for the conversation. And I think it's worth our time to name. I mean, Lisa, I, I you know, we've been friends for so mm-hmm. long and colleagues. It means I'll come in the office. And I remember one long friendship of yours Mm. that I remember you, you, you buried that one. That one was dead and gone. And then, you know, and we all like threw the dirt on, we were like, ah, and, and on top of that, (laughs) I always hated that one because remember that (laughs) time? And then suddenly you came in and and you said, you're not going to believe it. But guess who's back in my life? Yeah.
2: Hmm. Yeah. And maybe this is where I can, like, put on my reverend hat a little bit (laughs) and and think through this with us a little bit. You know, I think out of death there is, in my tradition, always the possibility of resurrection. Mm -hmm. Um, And at least, and if not resurrection, a resurrection hope. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I talk about this in the book in a different context, um, but, you know, as we think about our big religious traditions, like there's some stuff that we that we are leaving behind that is dying within our traditions, that is death dealing that needs to stay dead. (laughs) Um, And there is some stuff that is nourishing that has sustained us for a long time that we can carry forward and compost and use to fertilize what comes next. And I wonder, um, I'm just playing because cause Mackie invited me to imagine as he often does, like if part of the death and dying process around friendship is also being able to creatively see the resurrection hope yeah. and, and the potential. Whether it's about it may not be about resurrecting that particular relationship. Mm-hmm. And certainly if a friendship has has died in that moment, that also tells me that like there there's something that needs to stay dead That's there right. but that the resurrection hope might be that at a different period of time whether it be with that person you come back mm-hmm. as fully different people right? right to develop and seed a new relationship that meets you where you're at mm-hmm. or if it is taking the compost of previous friendships that were meaningful and allowing that to fertilize the new ground that gives the possibility. New relationships to form mm-hmm. that maybe just maybe that is one lesson um, out of the death of friendships that we can carry forward. Um, that there is certainly, as I think about friendships of mine that have ended tragically <laughs> over the past couple of years, um, there is still always a longing and I think an ache for those friendships that never die. And I hope that ache. Does't ever go away because it reminds me that I'm human. It reminds me that I have the capacity to love. It reminds me that I have the capacity like now, in some cases several years later, to reflect back and be like, "Whoo!" I mean, I ain't ready to resurrect that particular relationship, but the me that showed up then. I pray spirit that I' am a different me now and that I've learned something in the process yeah. Um, yeah. and where where it is necessary. For us to build the courageous skill to try to make amends Mm -hmm. and offer Mm -hmm. um, those amends, I think we do it Mm -hmm. when we're ready. And where it is necessary for us to continue to have healthy boundaries, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we, we love ourselves enough to have them. But I think maybe that is what I'm feeling inspired by in this conversation is thinking about not just in the book, I talk about composting religion, but what does it look like to compost friendships, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Friendships that are gone, Um, Mm -hmm. friendships that uh, have passed to fertilize that which is emerging within us, to fertilize our, our growth, the growth of our communities, to fertilize even those relationships that maintain that can be strengthened in the lessons that we learned about how to treat each other better, right, (laughs) how does that then show up in other friendships and relationships that emerge is where my imagination is taking me now. Um, Mm. And that's not to say that that's not hard work (laughs) and difficult work, and that sometimes um, and sometimes that loneliness is ever present. Um, I heard a poet say once that loneliness is practice for death, and Mm. I think that's right. I think that's right, and um, in those dark, quiet moments when I'm familiarizing myself with death and and feeling lonely, it's then that I realize that I have access to call on. For me, it's spirit, it's God, it's ancestors, Mm -hmm. right? to accompany me not to pull me out of the depths of what i'm feeling necessarily because again some of my self-work is to like actually feel my feels and not perform my feelings or perform for other people like (laughs) but sit in the depths of it um but call on their strength lest it overwhelm me um and so i I feel grateful for the friendships that transcend not just generations but even like spiritual realms (laughs) right like there's a reason why my grandmama used to hum what a friend we have in jesus right (laughs) like you know um there's a reason why um when i think about my mother even now as i'm surrounded by her pictures in my office i think of her as mama friend who is still mama friend Mm -hmm. even though she's been gone for Mm -hmm. this this earth for over five and a half years right because there's other times I call on different parts of my mom. Sometimes I call on, like, mommy. Like, I need my mommy, right? Sometimes I call on uh, the badass Christine Bailey that was, like, a no-nonsense negotiator at work. But sometimes I just need to call on mom, a friend, to accompany me in my sadness in those moments. And so I think that's another dynamic of friendship. Um, it's not just amongst living, but there is a friendship that endures.
0: Mm. That's an amen. That's an amen. You definitely put on the 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 minister cap right there. <laughs> and and I it was a word for me because um, and Mackie, you're recalling when I had that friend breakup that was two years, and we did reconcile. And um and I think that the point that you made that was so powerful. Jen among the many points was that we were also different people when we came back, that something Mm -hmm. actually in the, something had to die in the relationship that was that, that, and we, and neither of us realized it until we came back and we realized, Oh, okay. I needed some things that I wasn't getting. And I was a person that I didn't want to be. And, um, And so the death was necessary um, in order for there to be life.
1: Y'all, you know, I'm making this film about reparations right now. And it's so funny, of course, we all know that uh, there has been a move to push aside the urge for reconciliation and insist upon repair before reconciliation is considered. And so I am finding myself inspired by this conversation at play with language and thinking about in those times when we might come back different, grown, Mm -hmm. there's still the work of repair Mm -hmm. and how uh, that too, Mm -hmm. Reverend Jen, is not necessary. We don't have enough tools. (sighs) Nah, uh-uh. even the best
2: books, right? I think it's so interesting, Mackie. You mentioned that because it's tender for me in this season of my life as I think about like notions of repair after harm, um, and it's interesting to me. And I feel like I have fallen victim to the same thing I used to accuse, like, my baby mentees, undergrads of, of like, y'all have the fancy vocabulary you're learning in school, but you ain't had the experience yet. And I feel like (laughs) we are all babies when it comes to thinking about real, um, patterns and practices and lived experience of repair after harm Mm -hmm. and even though we might have like some of the books right and like some of the language and the vocabulary and we want to like whip out that language and vocabulary and we want to be um say we're abolitionist right say (laughs) that we um we know the buzzwords But we haven't been, many of us have not been in practice around it. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough um, teachers to help us move through and show us Mm -hmm. what that looks like and feels like Mm -hmm. as a practice uh, that's not just um, intellectual, an intellectual exercise, Mm -hmm. but it's an embodied reality. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds fresh and shiny, especially in movement spaces and but like it's hard like nobody told me this is hard it's hard and sometimes it's not possible yeah like people to the point you're making lisa like sometimes i'm not healed enough to actually be able to move towards repair right Right. like Mm -hmm. actually the ruptures that have happened um are so deep that they have triggered something inside me that I'm discovering is unhealed. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm.
0: like, um,
2: and it takes maturity even to say, I'm actually not ready to move towards repair. I don't have the tools in my toolkit Mm -hmm. to do that. I don't have the ability to do that right now. I need to tarry in this healing a little Mm -hmm. bit longer so I can show up more fully in this repair process. Mm Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that is a lesson that I'm learning in real time right now. Mm-hmm. Um in myself and discovering the unhealed parts of me that show up mm-hmm. <laughs> in in spaces even that are supposed to be oriented towards repair. Um and being unpracticed in the discipline mm-hmm. of, of repair feels real. And so mm-hmm. I want us to like dispose <laughs> of the notion that like if you just get the right like facilitator or read the right books mm-hmm. or follow steps A, B, and C, that you'll re arrive at some mm-hmm. grand conclusion that you can then I mean, when I'm being like mm-hmm. shady, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you can then publicize on a blog that like mm-hmm. for the movement. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like use to amplify a platform. Um now this is real life stuff and like the stuff of years of work. Mm-hmm. Um is the deep, deep work. Um That can't just be captured in a moment. That's right. That is,
0: that's, that's so right. I'm with you though for the rituals. I'm with you Mm -hmm. to create the rituals that we need that I think are critical to what you're getting at that will help us to take our body, to be in our bodies about what we're trying to do and not simply in our heads.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Mm -hmm
1: rituals for whatever location or place or stage or truth we're in whether it's i'm going to tarry now for some more healing to happen and the maturity to say no Mm -hmm. or for the phase or the time when people do want to think about what it means to uh, befriend Mm -hmm. try again Repair mm. all the things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I there's you know I made one film a long time ago while I was a hospice chaplain uh, called Questioning Faith ah. that uh, that was in the wake of the loss of a dear friend to AIDS. And in the middle of it, I talked to his lover, and just in the middle of a conversation, I said, "You know, Andrew." Why didn't you invite me to Alan's funeral? Mm. And he turned to me and he looked at me in locked eyes and it was that look where you're like all right you you asked the question which means you're asking for the answer and he said well Mackie if you weren't there for him in life mm. how come you think it's okay to be there for him in death mm. and in the last six months or so I wasn't there and in that journey in that particular journey hmm. uh it was com- it was composting it was composting that led to the healing there are all kinds of different ways in which uh healing was at work but the learning of the lesson of the power of presence hmm. in times of grief and suffering
0: hmm.
1: in a royal fuck up mm-hmm that I'll regret for the rest of my life. I mean, let's get real.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, led to being present in a different kind of way after for uh, beloveds now and beloveds then in ways that literally changed my life, right? Like mm-hmm. taught me what mm-hmm. love lived looks like. Yeah. So our last, our last, question that we like to say bye-bye with uh, is not only a way of again leaning into dimensions of life that give us relief and joy healing or some kind of pleasure but also offer some suggestions for people who are tuning in uh, for things that might help in good times in bad times, in these times, and that last song is Jen. What song is getting you through right now?
2: Mm. It is a hymn by none other than the the psalmist Stevie Wonder, as mm. from the album the Songs in the Key of Life, which um, which was my mom's favorite album. Um, which is an album that I played for her a lot when she was on hospice, but was also um, the album I played during what's called the Golden Hour. So, Max's first um, hour of life in this world, mm-hmm. I played that album. And so, whenever I feel myself despairing and wanting to connect to sort of the interdimensional notions of friendship and intergenerational friendships, um, even within my family line, I put on Stevie Wonder's ads and remember that um, I'll be loving you always. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is. That, that has kept me, that has held me so deeply um, over the past several years and continue continue to, to play it on repeat in those dark moments.
0: Oh, oh, that, that, that's, that's one of the greats. That is one of the greats, man. Oh, Jen, Am I so, do we, are we gonna add ours this week, Mackie? Yeah, Lisa, what's getting you through? OK, Jen, when I read your when I was reading your book, the first chapter about your mom, of course, it put me in mind of my mom mm-hmm. and it reminded me of the ringtone that I used to have for when she called. It was Etta James at last. Mm-hmm. And I played it four or five times since I was reading because I, re- I read I read some chapter before and then I reread to, right before our conversation a couple of days ago and I've been playing at last it used to make me cry to mm. listen to that song and now it brings a warm memory to my heart you know it's like eh, I, I can't I can't I can't edit James on it, it's too scary. But this, when it's at last, my love has come along. Right. And every time my phone rang and that came, it's, I said, that's my mama, that's my mama. Wow. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that chapter. Thank you for reminding me of that song.
1: And my song, you know, I, th- I, uh, I was thinking about this day and which song it is, and I looked at my current, uh getting me through playlist and the song that just jumped out was a song called This Joy by the Resistance Revival Choir mm. or Chorus oh. and I thought about lives of commitment. I thought when you were honored at Lives of Commitment, Jim Bailey. Remember
2: that? I but
1: but uh, hold on. The world didn't give it to me. Whoa, this joy that I
0: to that I I have. The, world the
1: world didn't give it, didn't it to me. me. The, world the world didn't give it to
0: me. The world, the world didn't it. The world take world it away. Way. I love that song. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. hmm Wow. Thank you so much, beloved.
2: Thank you all so much. much. What a joy to (laughs) speak and enjoy. What a joy to like talk to (laughs) y'all. I miss you so much. All of this is like, I just just, just love, love, love all around.
0: (laughs) Love, love, love. We're doing the hearts. We're doing the hearts. Okay. We have to do a little closing. So I got to say this conversation continues the season, the second season of Friends for Life. And so we invite you to listen each month, um, as we continue to explore this topic, uh, the themes of joy, laughter, grief, showing up, repair and reparations in our friendship. That's what we're gonna be talking about. Um, So join us, join us, join us.
1: Thanks y'all for being with us today. Reverend Jen Bailey, you are a inspiration. You are a beloved. And we are here for you and with you today, but not just today. And so thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for telling us some of your, you know, spilling a little tea. <laughs> it always makes us feel real close. And also the wisdom, the wisdom, the, the prophetic and pastoral wisdom that you gave us on this day. Mm-hmm. Everybody, we can't wait to be together again soon. Please, please, please
0: take care. And
1: thanks for Mm -hmm. being with us.
0: Smooches. (laughs) Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next month as we continue to explore the ways in which friendship helps us to create a world of love and justice.
1: We want to send you out with the words of Winnie the Pooh.
0: If ever there is tomorrow when we're not together,
1: there's something you must always remember.
0: You are braver than you believe,
1: stronger than you see,
0: and smarter than you think.
1: But the most important thing is, even if we're apart,
0: I'll always be with you.
1: I'll always be with you.
0: We'll
2: always,
1: always be with you. <laughs> be with you. <laughs> we'll always be together.
0: Something like that. <laughs>